When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered and a special Menas Masterclass interview. I'm thrilled to be joined by one of the great players of the modern era. Kumar Sangakkara made over 12,000 test runs with a whopping 38 test centuries. He made the second highest ever one-day international runs ever with 14,234 runs, only behind the great Sachin Tendulkar. He was the quickest man to 9,000 test runs. And then in some kind of eerie symmetry, Kumar Sangakkara, Brian Lara and Sachin Tendulkar all reached 10,000 test runs in 195 innings. So uh, I'll start off, Kumar, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. It is a bit eerie that three of you hit that mark in the same innings. Yeah, it it, 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 it was. I remember it was uh, Boxing Day Test Match, I think, 2013 when I reached uh, the 10,000 run mark and Brian Lara was He's, he's and, and was one of my, you know, top, top batting heroes. So to reach it that, you know, alongside him was very special. Um, and to reach it in Australia was very special as well. Yeah, what a place to do it at the Boxing Day Test Match. Let's go back to the beginning of your cricketing career. Um, just take me back into how much the 1996 50-over World Cup win by Sri Lanka inspired a nation and inspired, you know, a generation of cricketers. Yeah, I think pre-1996 and probably up until about, well, the early 90s, we were very much like the Calypso cricketers, like the West Indians were labelled really talented, graceful, um, but we, we lost more often than we won. and and we But we, of course, played the game really well and fairly. And, uh, we were well-loved and we had exciting, talented cricketers, but we didn't have like the real spine to win and, and to compete against the best, even though we had the, the ability. And then in in nineties when Arjuna Ratunga took over and there was this transformation in, in the Sri Lankan setup. And there was a huge emphasis of trying to beat all the countries, especially when they toured um, Sri Lanka. Um and then in terms of one day cricket, they, they were able to build a, a side that was probably one of the most experienced one day sides going into that nineteen ninety-six World Cup, played a huge number of one days as a group, really stayed together consistently. The selections were pretty much, uh, you know, the same. And, and and the side that came together for the 96 World Cup knew each other really well. They had a very uh, set pattern of play. After Mark Great Batch started the pinch hitting, he ran 92. Sanajas and Romesh Kalvitana, you know, adapted it and made it, you know, hugely better. Sanath especially with his all-round skills, took, you know, the, took the first 15 apart. And that really put a lot of sides on the back foot. And then, of course, you had Murali and, and the no-ball issue just before. And that kind of really united the country and the team to say, you know, this is our brand of cricket. These are our players, so we're going to support them no matter what. All of that kind of culminated in in us, you know, going out there for the 1996 World Cup, picked, you know, as as a favourite by some commentators, written off by some. Tony Gregg. 
Yeah, and then you had that win in Lahore in 96. And that was a phenomenal moment for the country and for that team. And it defined kind of all the hard work that's gone in to 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 get that team there for it to be so openly convinced that it was one of the best teams going around it go toe to toe with with anyone uh, of of you know any team in the world any player it really changed the perspective of so many like me on on what cricket could be and it could be a viable career and it was exciting to play and that we had an opportunity to be part of a side that were world beaters um, and then that that went on. I mean, that side, especially the next year and a half to two years up until 19, at the start of or the end of 98, start of 1999, was just a phenomenal side. Of course, um, rules changed slightly. Conditions went away from the subcontinent in 1999. And the side itself, leadership-wise, didn't adapt, didn't develop, and didn't evolve beyond that, that stage of 1996 to 1998. And had a had a really unfortunately a really horrendous 1999 World Cup. Defending champions, it was a first round exit. The ball was swinging. Conditions were alien. The side probably was better than it was in '96, especially with the experience that it had and the variety that it had. But unfortunately, it was not to be. But that 1995 to 1998 period with the World Cup win was the catalyst for really getting generations of players interested in Malt and playing the game. And ultimately a lot of us may not represent Sri Lanka. So it was a it was an absolutely crucial moment uh, for for the entire country. Yeah, well, what a magic win for Sri Lanka. So fast forward, you know, just a, you know, a little bit to the year 2000, uh, you made your, you know, one-day international debut, and then in July you, you made, you know, every cricketer's dream. You made your test debut on the 20th of July 2000 at Gaul versus South Africa. Um, You know, what was it like when you, I guess, first made your international debut in one-day cricket, but then, you know, actually probably hit the ultimate where you were given your, your test cap? Yeah, it was uh, it was you know an unbelievable feeling, kind of a validation of all the hard work and, and and the training and everything that's gone on till that time. Of course, at that time, early days, you didn't have the options of of franchise cricket. It was just one day cricket, Test cricket. That was it. And Test cricket was and is still, of course, for all players, the pinnacle of of the game. So when you know when I made my debut, I replaced Romesh Kalavitan in the side, which was you know, a huge mm. kind of change, not just for the for the team, but also for fans who was, you know, who loved Kalu and he was such a great cricketer, such a great guy. So I had to really prove myself. I had a, a very, very good tri series in the in the one day format. We went on to win that against South Africa, I think in the final with Pakistan, also one of the other teams. And then I didn't expect to be picked in the test side. But because I performed well with the bat, I think uh Always given the opportunity to keep in the in that in that test series against South Africa, and I didn't do really well at all. I mean, I had a high score of twenty something, I think, and didn't keep too well. I wasn't a really good keeper at the time, <laughs> but I remember getting my test cap and thinking, "Oh, this is this is amazing." And then at the end of the series, going, "Oh well, I think I'll just be a one-day player for now because I'm never going to get selected again." And the last test match of my debut series, I was offered the opportunity to bat three. I think in one of the innings, I didn't score much at all. I think I got got cutting Makai and Tini at deep third man or something like that. And um, and I was pretty settled in my view that I'm not good enough to play and that I won't be picked again. So, uh, And I was surprised that the next 
series, which was away in South Africa. I got picked to bat at number three. Um, Ramesh Kalvitan came back into the side at certain stages, even on that next, even on that tour away to South Africa. And only until I scored 98 in my last test, I scored 70 odd in my first uh, in South Africa in Durban, and then 98 in the second innings at Centurion, being the last man out that had to open in that second innings because Sanat Jasuri had a, an injury to the finger. And uh, that's the first time I thought, well, actually, I could probably play at this level. And I had the game to kind of, I had a lot of improvement to do, of course, but still I had the basics to try and succeed at the level. So that was kind of the two significant early tours for me. In, in Australian cricket, there's now a tradition where, um, you know, they present the baggy green to you before you, you know, before play on your test debut. Is there anything like that in Sri Lanka when you got your test cap or, you know, did Arjuna Ranatunga, the captain of the time, you know, call you into his room and bestow it upon you? You know, how did it happen? Well, um, the captain at the time was Sana Jaisuria. I had just taken over in 1999 after the, you know, what I said was the horrendous World Cup defense in 1999 when a captain there was a huge call for change um and Arjuna was removed as captain and my first test series was his last test series but he played as a as as a player with some under Sanajaya Surya I think I just announced I was given a cap I was given the cap I just actually can't remember for some reason but it was a significant moment because of the fact that you're named in the eleven. Um, the coach and the captain, I think it was Dev Watmore at the time, you know, told me that I was playing, where I was batting. Um, so it was really, uh, really exciting. But um, I think the numbered cap started, came came into being when when Mahalajarwadhan and I were thinking about, you know, caps and we wanted to have kind of a, a Sri Lankan cap that mm. was one cap only and you don't get a you don't get a second and to kind of uh, have that um, have that significance about the the Sri Lankan cap, which came later. I mean, everyone loved the cap, but we had various different iterations of caps, um, and we but we wanted to have uniformity, and that came about a few years later. And now it that that stuck, and, and you know everyone gets their debut cap, of course, at the ground, and that's been tradition for for a long time. Excellent. So, so you mentioned your ninety, I think eight. You said against uh, South Africa in South Africa. There was a couple of nineties, but then a year after your Test debut, you made a century at the ground. You made your debut, Gaul versus India. You know, I guess uh, was there a bit of relief at that stage to get the first Test century after going so close a couple of times? Um, yes, for sure. Because I don't think that I had made a, a first class century when I got picked for Test cricket. So when I was playing that India series and in goal, I was batting in Murali. And again, batting with the last man in, having mm. to get about either 15 or 16 runs. Jeez. So it was, it was quite nerve-wracking, especially when Murali came and told me, don't worry, I'm going to stay here until you get your 100. I'm not going to hit any shots. I'm just going to defend the ball. And he went, and the first ball, he's like slog-swept a fastball <laughs> for four. I said you were defending. Um, but... Um, uh, but strangely, when Murali is, he's batted together with so many people and shepherded them to hundreds in in all countries. In South Africa, he batted with Harshan Tilkaratna, then me, then he's batted with so many others. And he's got this knack for being the guy on, on the other end when someone is scoring a crucial hundred. It was very satisfying, not not for anything else other than just to prove to myself that, yeah, that, you know, I've been waiting and I could do this. And I would always thought, Initially, when I started, that I had to get twenty hundreds. So to get the first one out of the twenty was was really satisfying because at that time I used to think, oh, twenty hundreds would be really great, and that 
you, that would mean you're good at test cricket at least. Yeah, it does. But when you make 38, it means a bit more. <laughs> and uh, and um, so that was kind of the first stepping stone. I got my first 100 on monkey of the back. So now I know how to get 100. Can I repeat it? But but yeah, it, it was it was really satisfying, and I think we went on to win that test as well. So which which was which was even better. Mm. So, so you talk about the twenty test hundreds. That's interesting because I was sort of doing a little bit of a, a deep dive in your career, and you know after sixty test matches, you were averaging I think just under fifty, around forty seven, and you had nine test centuries to that point. So a really solid test career, you know, excellent test career, but then. In your next 74 tests up into the end of your career, you hit 29 more test centuries. You sort of hit that rarefied air and you lifted your average from you know 47, which is exceptional, to 57, which is extraordinary. What was it in that second half of your career that really pushed you into that incredible run of form? Uh, but I, th- I think it was just changing stuff around my around my fundamentals. But that was brought up to think that all fundamentals were, you know, in, 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 in usual cricket, it, fundamentals don't change. You stay the same, your grip, your back lift, your trigger movements, all of it. My father was the opposite. He said, everything can be changed as long as you're changing to make, make yourself better. And if you don't change, you're just going to be relevant. So you have to stay ahead. So change what needs to be changed. So I changed my trigger. I've changed my grip. I've changed my stance. I've changed all of these things from time to time to to feel to to kind of stay ahead of the curve, and I also stopped wicket keeping. Uh, I was forced to stop wicket keeping by the selectors, and I was quite upset when I was forced to stop wicket keeping because I was very young and, and and immature. And I thought, oh, I could do all of this and keep and bat three. When actual in actual fact, it was extremely difficult mentally and physically, fatigue wise, to bat at three after keeping and and vice versa. So I think that was the biggest thing that freed me up to score runs was that I didn't have to worry about the gloves. Um, so that kept me really fresh for batting. Of course, from time to time when I went to England or especially away from home to balance out the side, I was still given the gloves and I still had to bat three because there was no option to bat anywhere else, even if I were tired. So uh, there were you know, times after that, that once in a while I, I donned the gloves, but I think that was the biggest thing change in terms of scoring more runs was was not being tired after mm-hmm. keeping and then the changes in technique uh then understanding the process of scoring 100 when to accelerate when to decelerate when to absorb pressure which bowlers to take on uh, to understand that you had to bat to score runs uh, not just to occupy the crease uh, because if you don't bat to score runs you're going to get out at some point and by that time uh, and it's it's usually sooner because the bowlers have no pressure uh, in terms of uh, you know being forced to do something different or change mm. up their lengths and lines, um, so those kinds of kind of understanding, tactical understanding of batting and how to how to bat, was really helpful in freeing me up and getting get into those runs. So then, I found that getting to a hundred and then repeating that process, been able to get not just hundreds but doubles, and then you know it was kind of a process that you just kind of rinsed and repeated, rinsed and repeated. And it worked well, but I've, I've changed the fundamentals so many times over the years. Grips, Tinkerer. stances, a, a tinker, yeah, but but always with a purpose. I knew what I was doing. I knew the the base where I started from. So if something was not working, I would I could go back, and then I also picked the right moments to make those big changes. Especially after I've scored a lot of runs, knowing that I could you know invest maybe a couple of failures or more 
into the process of getting my my batting right again. Um, and I and I and I worked hard at training. I know I hit a lot of balls. And again, practice was always with purpose. It was never just nonsensical hitting of just for the sake of hitting a ball, but really, really focused uh, training. It's an incredible conversion rate. We'll be back with Kumar Sangakara in a moment. This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. As an avid cricket lover, I'm sure you've been traveling and you've wanted to watch the cricket from back home on your uh, sports viewing app, but it doesn't work because you're in a different region. Well, with NordVPN, this will no longer be a problem because you can switch your country to a different virtual location and watch the cricket live. To access a special 30-day money-back guarantee, head to nordvpn.com forward slash cricket unfiltered. That's nordvpn.com forward slash cricket unfiltered. I've also put that link in the show notes. So remember, if you don't want to miss out on live sport or especially live cricket from wherever you are in the world, don't forget to sign up to nordvpn.com forward slash cricket unfiltered. So I mentioned your 60th, up to your 60th test. Then in your 61st test, you you were a part of test history in the highest ever test partnership, still the highest test partnership. Uh, you and um, Mahela J. Warner put on 624. Yourself made 287. J. Warner 374. Pleasingly, it was part of a win, a big winner of South Africa. Now, as someone who's, you know, I know you're a keen student of the game. I know you, you know, father used to send you cricket books all around the world and fax you pages. I mean, you must really appreciate, you know, these records. I mean, 38 test centuries, you know, the highest ever test partnership. Now that you're retired, you can probably sit back and really soak it all in. Yeah, I mean, for me, getting those test hundreds and those test wins and transport runs away from home, and I've been lucky to average in the 60s in New Zealand and Australia. You know, Australia was a huge thing for me to try and be successful against the team. Actually, I think I was much more successful away from home with against Australia than at home. So, yeah, it, it, it is very satisfying, um, uh, you know, and there were moments of regret when, you know, five World Cup finals and losing four and winning just one in the one-day format. But in, in, in the test career, that 624-run partnership, the hundreds, uh, just the the memories of of the dressing room, and really, you know, playing together with this you know great bunch of guys trying to trying to achieve things for the country on on the sporting field in in times when the country was really going through tough periods. People were were going through tough periods all around Sri Lanka in the in the backdrop of a war and social upheaval. So, a lot to be very thankful for, and not just soak it all in. I've had a a very, very fortunate life, a very fortunate career. I've worked hard at it. I've sacrificed. I've had great friends and family, um, and I made great friends through this sport. So I've, I'm very, very thankful and grateful to for 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 what I, you know, was fortunate to to get out of cricket, um, apart from just the runs and the wins. Yeah, that's a beautiful attitude towards it. And the Shranka people just have such a beautiful spirit. Yeah, they do. Um, uh, I mean, uh, again. You know what a what a great country to be born in and, and to represent and to live in. People through time have had, you know, horrendous experiences, good experiences, not so good, and a whole gamut of experiences in life in Sri Lanka. And in a very short period of time it went through uh so much pain uh 
and uh, uh, so much uh, conflict. Um, and different people in different parts of Sri Lanka experience the country differently and experience each other differently, uh, which is which is quite sad and uh, which is horrific. But um, through it all, there's there's one thing that always stands out is that this resilience, this indomitable spirit, um, and and this will to to really um, have a crack and have a go uh, at life. Um, and people are really close. They're very open. They're, they're amazingly gentle, you know. And although there have been instances of when it was not so, but deep down, um, we are a, a really, really kind, gentle, hospitable people. And um, the 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 Sri Lankan spirit that you say shines out in in, in everyone and wherever they go and settle down. Uh, whether it's back home or abroad, you'll always find you, you, you'll immediately recognize them when you when you meet or when you're part uh, friends with Sri Lankans or you you meet the community you're always embraced, brought in, and made to feel you know one of us. It's great uh, to to have that in me, and I'm very proud of the fact that I was I'm Sri Lankan. I was born there and I lived there, and I was very fortunate. Um, and I was able to give back as well to others who were not as fortunate as I was. And that was also, you know, a large part of the way we played our cricket with, with that, you know, the Sri Lankan brand of cricket was imbued with that spirit that we all carried within us. So it was, it, it was quite, uh, yeah, it's quite remarkable, really. Yeah, it is. Um, so, you, so you mentioned playing Australia before. Um, I had a look. You first came across them in Test cricket in 2004, that great Australian side that toured Sri Lanka and, Australia won that series 2-0. There was no McGrath, but it was a team with Warren, Ponting, Gilchrist, McGill. I mean, uh, we'll start with, you know, Warney. I mean, what was it like sort of playing against Shane? Oh, incredible. Um, I mean, he was he was master of his craft, tactically brilliant, um, really planned uh, batters out, mentally very strong mentally and, 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 and very aggressive in terms of how he went at batters. He also had the support of, you know, this great team around him. And Stuart McGill, what a great spinner Stewie was. Yeah. We kept out of the side and the limelight because of one. Uh, unfortunately, for Stewie was, was the way it was. But he was exceptional on the tour as well. But Warney was, you know, I got to know Warney a lot better as the years went by, especially after retirement. And he was just an exceptional, exceptional guy. He lived life very large, uh, this legendary kind of, not just cricketer, but personality. Mm. It was very kind, a lot of time for everyone uh, when it came to the game. And I was very fortunate to get to know him really well. So he, he was just a magnificent person. Uh, and what a tragic loss, um, mm. you know, in, in the prime of his life. Um, and he left a lasting impression on, on, on every team that he played in and even the oppositions that he played against but especially on people that met him and really got to know him. Yeah, you're right. It's still unbelievable that he's not around. And, you know, I've been watching your fantastic work in the commentary box over the Ashes summer with Sky Sports, but, you know, you really feel his absence, especially the first Ashes without him. I think all of Australia, you know, echoes those sentiments, just such a great guy. So you, you play that great Australian side, but you said coming to Australia was scoring runs here and, you know, you made a wonderful 192 at Bell Reeve Oval. Um, you know, you said that was really important for you because traditionally Sri Lanka have struggled in Australia, especially at Ted's level, um, but, but you came here and performed exceptionally well. 
I think we struggled as a team because we didn't have the we weren't equipped to to play in Australia with a special bowling attack. Our batting to a large degree was 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 much better. So as a side, as a complete side, we weren't really adept in those conditions. But but we've always pushed ourselves to try to win abroad and winning in India, in Australia, in England was was really a huge motivator uh, for us. Um, and I enjoyed the wickets in Australia, bouncy. You know, once you get in, it's it's really good to bat on. I enjoyed pace more than spin, and I was brought up in Candy, which had green wickets, which was raining time. Well, you're facing what Brett Lee and Mitchell Johnson when you made that 192. So there's a fair <laughs> bit of pace onto the bat there. <laughs> yeah, there was, and um, yeah, it was it was great. Um, you know, playing and, and and playing on those pitches and 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 understanding how to play on it. And it's also a great place to tour because we had a great Sri Lankan community, huge support. Um, so it was it was really nice to 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 play. And you know, the Aussies always are you know the highest quality of opposition. So you tend to want to test yourself against the best. And you were a bit of a fiery character. You like to, uh, you know, you 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 know like to get on the front foot and play the game in the right spirit, and you know really get in the contest. So you you know that's the way Australians play cricket. So you know, did it bring out the best in you when you, a little bit playing against the Aussies? Yeah, when I started off, I was. I had saying a lot more and 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 not doing enough, and then I changed it around to really concentrating on on doing my best rather than just talking a good game. And then the combination and the words will come, especially if you're if someone says something or there's there's a moment in the game that that gets that across. But I think all my career, I mellowed and matured and understood that it, you know the, the real validation of who you are as a person and a player is to play the game the right way and then score the runs and do the work on the field and then that speaks louder than anything that you can say so and i i, I mean I, I can't remember a single instant but instance when i was playing that we had uh any run-ins with, with the australians so yeah so uh, it, it was it was you know played really hard and, and, and played fair that 192 at bell reeve over you got really close to pulling off a massive chase very you know very close almost a bit of history there but then after 2007, as I said, beautiful run-up. You mentioned those World Cup losses, but, you know, in, in 2014, player of the match in the final of Sri Lanka winning the T20 World Cup, uh, beating India in the finals, still remember it. I think I actually sat up with a friend and we scored that that T20 final live. That's how obsessed we were with um, cricket. So I guess that must be a crowning moment, winning the T20 World Cup. Yeah, it was. Uh, I had a horrendous tournament, really, with the bat until that final. And having made the finals, and this being the last T20 World Cup for Mahal and I, we were very, very focused on trying to win. And we nearly didn't even make the playoffs. Uh, we got off at 119 against New Zealand and then ended up winning the match by 57 runs because Rangan Herat bowled. Wow. The best T20 spell I've ever seen. So it was it was incredible to be able to play in the final and, and and seeing India again and then beating them. And India was a mighty T20 side, and uh, that was exceptional for us. And it was really nice to to go out on a high and actually think, oh, well, we're actually good enough to win, not just become you know finalists or runners up. So uh, that was really good. And it was a really special tournament. So many players stood up at various times. Uh, we had changes of captain. We had, uh, you know, contract issues back home. We weren't given any chance to really get anywhere in that World Cup as well. But to finally put that all to bed and, and come out on the, on the winning side was really special. And coming back, we had just lines of people waiting for us from the airport 
all the way into Colombo and golf is green into the most phenomenal site, phenomenal mm -hmm. experience had, uh, in my career. And beautiful. You retired from international cricket in 2015, but speak about these records. They just keep cropping up. In 2014, you made the most international runs of any player ever, 2,868. You charged over the finish line for your career. I mean, did you just decide, okay, I want to go out on top? That's it? Well, I actually started thinking about retirement in 2013. I think my father called me one day out of the blue and said, why are you still playing cricket? Don't you think that? We think of doing other things and you know, at the back end of your career. And I wasn't very happy with that phone call because I thought, what are you talking about? I'm having some of the best years of my my cricketing life, uh, the peak of my powers. But then when I kept the phone down and I was talking to my wife, I kind of all made sense. So that's when I really started thinking about when to retire. I actually think I retired about six months too, too late, but I always wanted to do well and I wanted to... Uh, um, score runs and, and win and that didn't change just because I was thinking of retirement or planned my retirement or announced my retirement it's always a case of you know every time you go out you got to do these things because that's how you're going to win um, and, and we always and our side was driven to win that's that's just one one factor that defined the Sri Lankan teams that I played in because from I think about 2003 till 2014 we were the probably the best most consistently performing side in any conditions in World Cups and it's extraordinary for 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 a small country like us. But it also that it also instilled in us. You know, we've got to push. We've got to push. Keep pushing. Keep improving. And we pushed each other. We pushed ourselves. So it was it was great to be that kind of fiercely competitive, fiercely proud, wanting to win dressing room. And that that just carried on even after I announced my retirement, 2015 World Cup being the last. And I just wanted to do well. So I wanted to get to that final and have another chance at winning and um and I, I just kept doing what i always did working hard and trying to score runs on the field and it, it worked absolutely you went out on top all right we're going to take a quick break this episode of cricket unfiltered is brought to you by nord vpn we are thrilled to offer our listeners a special 30-day money-back guarantee with NordVPN. If you head to nordvpn.com forward slash cricket unfiltered, you can access that offer. And if you sign up for two years, you get four months for free. And it has never been a more important time than right now that to sign up for a VPN due to the rapid increase in cybercrime. If you're worried about your private data or your privacy being invaded, then a VPN will give you peace of mind because you can protect it all, even if you're not tech savvy. So if you go to nordvpn.com forward slash cricket unfiltered, it'll give you peace of mind as well as a great offer with a 30-day money-back guarantee. It is definitely the right time to do it with spam emails and scam emails coming through every day. So head to nordvpn.com forward slash cricket unfiltered. So just a few quick singles before we wrap this up. So who was who was some of the best bowlers you faced? You know, who who was some of the best that really challenged you? Oh, uh, so Juan um was one. Mohammad Asif from uh, Pakistan was mm. an exceptional fast bowler. Jimmy Anderson in English conditions and even in Sri Lanka, I think. Uh, Graham Swan, Zahir Khan. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, fortunately for me, I only faced Wazi Makram a couple of times. I think he got me out twice. And, uh, you know, he was exceptional to watch. So there were so many. What about your favourite batters to watch? You mentioned Brian Lara before. Any others? Aravinda De Silva, uh, Sir Vivian 
I enjoyed watching Cullis and and and, and Punter uh, out of the modern era. Steve Smith, Virat Kohli, you know, just just brilliant to to watch. Kane Williamson. There's so many. Johnny Bairstow, I think, is an exceptional, exceptional batter. So so many to so many to. Yeah, I bet you've got a few keeping tips for him though. Yeah, uh, Matthew Hayden. Uh, Matty Hayden, Virenda Sevag, you know, just brilliant to watch. Shana Jai Surya from, from Sri Lanka, Mahila Jayavadana. You know, so many cricketers that I you look around and you think, wow, um, you know, how good are these guys? I was very lucky to play with and against uh, so many of them. I love Aravinda De Silva. He is exceptional. And uh, also, um, you know, you talk about Sri Lanka spirit. You know, I was, you know, keen watcher in the mid-90s. And, you know, that summer when Kala with Arana and Jay Saria first went after the new ball, it was 95, 96. And it just lit up the nights here. You know, you just had to watch. And it was the first time it had really happened on a consistent basis. It was wonderful. All right, uh, back to your your favourite innings personally. Any, any one innings that you cherish most or a couple? Probably my that '98 in South Africa that kind of got me going and thinking, oh, I could play this. And then 2014 World Cup final, getting that 50 and getting the side across the line. What about um, in the 624 run partnership? Like, did you and Jay Warden run out of stuff to talk about? Did you think that when you got past 600, boy, it'd be nice to give someone else a go now? Yeah, you know, what's it like putting on 600 plus? Yeah, it's quite. I mean, you look back on it and it. It, it seems hugely significant and and massive in terms of the volume of runs. But at, when we were batting, we were just taking the moment. And, you know, even at South Africa batted first, and got a very small total. We made a bit of trouble at 14 for two when the two of us, uh, you know, got together in the middle and then driving that advantage, talking about when to declare, how, how much runs we need, and then thinking, oh, we've got so much time, let's just bat. What was Stain like? Stain was one of the... You know, Stane is one of my favorite people in the world that I've met through cricket. Yeah, or met met. He's just a fantastic individual, just nice, wholesome. Definitely not not your typical aggressive, angry fast bowler. He's just supremely talented. He's just a natural athlete, incredible bowler. Uh, unfortunately, when you're very young, Sri Lanka is not the place to come and experience when you're very young, <laughs> one of your first tours. Uh, you want to come there when you're a little seasoned professional and you understand what it's about and stay in a ball his heart out. I mean, he got me out off a no ball, uh, bowled me off an inside edge when I was <laughs> new. I was uh, maybe around six or seven. And then it was called a no ball. And that was the last last sniff that you know South Africa kind of got from us. But yeah, he bowled his heart out. And I, I faced him in, in other, he was seriously, seriously quick, but had the most rhythmic and beautiful action, just like, you know, being a Bradley. They don't seem as quick, even though they're actually just, just super fast. Uh, but you just have a little bit more time, just naturally, because you're seeing the ball all the way, and it's easier to get into rhythm. But what a what a what an individual, what a guy, what a bowler, what a cricketer for South Africa! You know, it is incredible, and I just love just talking to him. And, and, and I played with him in, in in the IPL in the same side, and just get to know him. He's just a phenomenal, phenomenal individual. I've heard him on a, a podcast, and you're right. He's he's nothing like his persona on the field. Like a lot of fast bowlers, you know, get them get the ball out of their hand, and they're lovely, lovely people. So personal, sort of a favorite Test win in your career. You know, any particular win at Test level? Uh, there was one. There was one in South Africa after long term. One in South Africa, then 2014 winning against England, uh, winning the series one 0 
uh, in my last tour to England was significant. So those would stand out. Yeah, they're fantastic achievements. Um, so you were a groundbreaking player. I mean, I'm, I've gone through all the records. I mean, I didn't even touch all of them. I mean, you know, it's like take hours to get through all your batting records. But you know, now you're sort of groundbreaking um, in your sort of post-cricket career. You're doing lots of great media work. But also, you know, you've started a cricket metaverse called Meta 11. I believe some of the founders are based in Australia as well. I mean, how did you get into a, a cricket metaverse? Uh, it's 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 interesting. Uh, I'm not your typical tech geek. Um, I'm quite the dinosaur, but I have lots of friends who are involved in very interesting fields. And you know, we were having conversations and about what to do and and how to do things related to cricket. With the advent of franchise cricket, the explosion of of its popularity, uh, both men's and women's games really being opened up to new markets around the world, the 100 in England, now the major leagues in, in the US, the IPL becoming a behemoth um, and leagues in every country. So how do we actually democratize entry into the game through technology and, and the advent of, 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 of the metaverse and new technologies really kind of gave us an idea of how to do it. Um, there are lots of other gaming companies that have, you know, scratch the surface in terms of, of cricket. And we wanted to go one step further, really make it a really immersive, uh, strongly fan-connected, easy with no barriers to entry um, game where we could engage, you know, not just the traditional cricket fan, but cricket fans of all ages, uh, of all genders, uh, and also the non-traditional cricket fans to so make it exciting, to make them curious, say, what is this, and, and to be a part of it. And a lot of the time, you know, you, when you're an athlete, once an athlete, always an athlete. And once a cricket fan, always a cricket fan. And to be, you know, a lot of the fans who don't have the ability to play the game uh, or, or to connect with their heroes but want to play it, this is a great opportunity for them where they can actually have their avatars that they create and 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 they can have them play in, in the metaverse, in these virtual stadiums that are being built uh, with you know, the ability to improve them skill-wise by, take, you know, giving them exposure to better nutrition, gym work, to coaching, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the opportunity was 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 really exciting for us when we really looked at it. So it's, it's a really great platform that we're creating. It's really exciting. Not everyone can engage as fully in, in, in this sport uh, for various reasons. And this allows us to take all those barriers away and have everyone equal and be able to engage and play uh, cricket in the metaverse uh, with metaverse, as we say. So it's an exciting opportunity. Uh, I mean, I love um, sports gaming. So, I mean, this looks fantastic. Yeah, and if you're a gamer out there listening, just Google it. There's tons of great information online about it already, and I think you can register your interest. So go and do that. Well, Kuma, lastly, you know, we, I've heard your fascinating insights during the Ashes. So you've made the transition from exceptional player who seemed to always, like, have his dad sending him messages like score more <laughs> runs, retire to now building a metaverse and in the in the commentary box. You know, how are you enjoying being in the commentary box and sort of um, adding that aspect to the game? Oh, I'm, I'm I'm learning massively. I mean, I've been so lucky to be part of the Sky team. I think they're just an exceptional presenting unit and commentary team. I mean, sitting back and watching Michael Atherton, Nassau Sen and Ian Ward do what they do is just 
an education in itself. So mm. uh, I really enjoyed it. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed being part of that team and learning and, and, and actually talking about cricket uh, and seeing it from a different perspective, but at the same time being able to kind of detach myself from the player kind of led views that I might have had or the experience because it's quite different when you are commentating. There's a lot that needs to change and mm-hmm. you know a lot that needs to be put across correctly in, in the right manner. And also for, never to forget that I was a player myself. So a lot of the 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 suggestions or comments or even criticisms at times that I I might have all comes from knowing that I would I would have done that same mistake enough times to understand to have to have empathy and an understanding of why that might happen and it's not just about talking well or badly about players it is about conveying uh, expert thoughts uh, on this on 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 not just what the game where the game is at but also on what what's going to come in the next session. Of you know, the next hour or the next 15 minutes or the, and then, you know, how, how the game changes and how it should change and how players can impact it. And that kind of having that mindset and getting that across to, to people is, is a real key uh, in an engaging manner. So I've, I've learned, I've had the opportunity to learn from the best and, and I'm still in the infancy of my commentary career, but it's been it's been such a lot of fun. Yeah, I think cricket commentary has become a little bit more conversational in the last few years. That commentary boxes are a lot more um, mixed. You know, there's a lot more females in the commentary box now, and cricket commentary has become more conversational than sort of when I was growing up. Yeah, also, I mean, the technology. I mean, we have Mel Jones, we have Issa Guha, uh, who are part part of of, of the team. Lydia Greenbay works with us from time to time as well. They're exceptional. I mean, their knowledge of the game is is second to none. And it's brilliant to have all these different perspectives uh, come together. And like you said, it is it is not just a conversation of, of, of just relaxed chat about cricket. It's also a very focused conversation about why is it happening and what can happen next, and what you should be doing next. And it's just kind of tying the, the the past to the present and the present to the future and back and forth. And then understanding who's who's watching and who's engaging from children to new fans who might never have watched the game, what's to seasoned cricket fans and seasoned players that, that are watching our broadcast all together. So to be able to manage the message so that everyone is engaged and and, and, and gets more out of, of, of what we do. The, the, I mean, the, the masterclasses, you know, you had Warney, you had Punter, you had NASA, you had others doing, and and, and, and McGrath, great players coming and doing masterclasses with us. And so that adds just a complete different dimension to it. So it, it, it's, it's really come along where it's continuously evolving as to, as to how we do it and, and why we do it and, and what we do. So it's it's not just a static place, like you said. It, it it's evolved from your from when you were watching, when I was watching, to now when I'm actually part of it. So and it'll keep evolving for the better. Indeed, Jim Maxwell, the great ABC commentator, has always told me take the viewer or the listener inside the contest between the bat and the ball, and that's what I think Sky Sports does so well with all the master classes and everything. You really get into that contest, and that's what you know. It actually enhances your enjoyment of the the game. Yeah, uh, without a doubt. I think that's that's fantastic advice. All right, Kumar. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute honor to interview you and hear about your amazing career. Best of luck with everything. I hope the the metaverse takes off and uh, I look forward to watching it and um, playing it. You know, I hope to run into you again sometime. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And it's been a great pleasure. And thank you for sparing the time. Thank you.
How good to interview the great Kumar Sangakkara. I love doing these men as masterclass interviews. Um, have had some great guests on in the last little while. Was in Macram last year, Mike Whitney, Phil Jakes, and now Kumar Sangakkara, who has 38 test centuries, the most centuries of any guest to come on the podcast. Well, Quick and Unfiltered will be back next week with two more episodes, hoping to catch up with Stuart McGill. And we're also making a trip out to Cricket New South Wales to see what's happening there. If you can do me a favour, please rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on and share it with your friends. Thank you. This is a Piccolo podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.